Have you heard some of the great insights from guests on Gangry the Podcast? Insights like... I've never had an editor throw an idea at me to write anything before. I always ask myself with yeah, stories, and, and I, I had the same going question. through the Bokov's archives. It has a question mark in my Imagine head I'm on your shoulder and that you're wearing a GoPro. Here is uh, carefully and meticulously. Every single piece about the whole Bundy story was just so interesting. It was really weird one to write because every time I tried to outline... The story became a viral sensation, right? Like, it was the story. You cannot, you cannot do these stories or how we, uh, how we understand the world. They're how we share our experiences. Believe it or not, Gangry the Podcast is now in its ninth year. In all that time, the best narrative journalists have told us how they report and write their stories. You can still listen to every single episode. They're on our website, along with links to all of the stories and books that we've talked about. You can find it all at gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. For this episode, I talked with Marissa R. Moss. Moss is a freelancer who writes about musicians for Rolling Stone, Billboard, American Songwriter, and more. In August, she profiled country music superstar Sturgill Simpson for Rolling Stone. Moss has wanted to write about Simpson for quite some time. And he's always been a really interesting interview to me, but one that I felt like, I don't know, hadn't quite been captured in the way that I always saw him that like sort of pushed past this narrative that that was kind of fun to imprint on him which was that he was this like sort of you know anti-hero to like the Luke Bryans of the world um which is true in some ways but it always you know sort of felt like he was forced into this role as part of the way that he was talked about um in stories that were written about him so I was always really curious to do something that was a little more human. Moss has been writing about music for years She writes a lot about country musicians, partially because she lives in Nashville, but also because she loves the storytelling aspect of it. I I think it's, you know, it's probably cliche to say, but I really love the storytelling and country music. Um, As someone really interested in words and stories, it just, you know, country music was doing it for me. But I also love so many types of music that I kind of sometimes squirm a little when people like, describe me as a country reporter or something like that because music is music. Moss has written about Casey Musgraves, Jason Isbell, Tanya Tucker, Eric Church, Miranda Lambert, and more. She was given the Best Music Reporter Award by Nashville Scene in 2019. Now she is putting the finishing touches on her first book, Her Country, How the Women of Country Music Became the Success They Were Never Supposed to Be will be published by Henry Holt and Company. It goes on sale in May of 2022. As usual, I've linked to everything we talk about on the website. You can find that at gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Marissa, welcome to Gangry the Podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, I wanted to to talk with you because recently you had uh, a profile on Sturgill Simpson uh, in Rolling Stone, and and I'll I'll be honest, uh, I I love Sturgill Simpson's music. Um, and when you mentioned a new album that he had, I immediately went and, and listened to it. Um, but can you can you tell me about about the story? Sure. Yeah, I I've loved Sturgill Simpson's music for quite a long time now. Um, and he's always been a really interesting interview to me, but one that I felt like, I don't know, hadn't quite been captured in the way that I always saw him that like sort of pushed past this narrative that, um, that was kind of fun to imprint on him, which was that he was this like sort of, you know, anti-hero to like the Luke Bryans of the world, um, which is true in some ways, but it always, you know, sort of felt like he was forced into this role as part of the way that he was talked about um, in stories that were written about him. So I was always really curious to do something that was a little more human. Um, and I had kind of been chasing it for a while and, and the everything's just sort of lined up for this moment. So it all ended up working out, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, how I'm, uh, this is what I'm always curious about, um, with, with stories on, on people like, um, like Simpson is how did it actually end up coming about? How, how did it, how did it happen? Um, I had been talking to his team about doing a profile on him for a while and just kind of trying to find the, the right opportunity to do it. Um, and cause I'm freelance, it's sort of, you know, you have to kind of match the outlet to the story that you want to tell. And um, Rolling Stone just felt like the right place for it for a lot of reasons. And also because I have a really great editor that I really trust there, um, Joe Hudak. And I knew that, you know, I, I felt good about him being involved in the story and having his hands and his editing touch on it. Um, and that's not always like something that you get to choose or uh, dictate as a writer, but in this case, it was sort of a, you know, a, a happy chain of events and that all those pieces fell in line. And I felt like I could, ha you know, have an editor involved in the process that I knew also really sort of saw my vision for where the story was going to go. You, uh, you, you mentioned that you had never really seen him, um, uh, or at least a, a story about him conveyed in, in this, in the sense that you got of him, right? Right. Um, Tell me about like what that sense is and kind of what comes across in your story, at least as you see. Yeah. And I don't mean to dismiss every, you know, there's, he had a wonderful profile in, in the New York times and, you know, there have been stories obviously that have captured him well. Um, but a lot of times it just feels like he gets set, he got set up to be this certain character that everyone wanted to project onto, you know, if you, if you loved kind of quote outlaw country music and you hated bro country, he was the perfect figure to latch on to and sort of project everything on. Or if you really love mainstream country music, he was sort of this, you know, antagonist that you could direct those anger, you know, the anger towards the people that were sort of dissing on your mainstream country loves. Like it, he kind of served that purpose for everyone. And it, uh, you know, every article you read, you know, the headline is always, you know, kind of pops out the, um, 
the super uh, controversial thing that he said because Sturgill is very open. You know, he'll answer what you ask him, which is very different than someone who is on Music Row, mainstream country star, not all of them, but, you know, they're coached to not say certain things. Um, and he'll just answer the question. So he's not going to, you know, say, uh, I'm going to pass on that question or, you know, default to his publicist. If he's in a position to talk, he'll answer the question. And, uh, and that's what makes for such an, you know, a, an honest giving person with their music, but it also sets him up to be, you know, make a really good, like clicky headline. And that was always frustrating to me because I felt like it took away from his music and his art, which is so incredible. Um, when we're always sort of like Sturgill said this crazy thing or, <laughs> you know, and you didn't get to, I, I never felt like I got a really great sense of who he was and what motivated him. And, um, I'm not saying that I accomplished that, but I'm saying that's something that I wanted to see more of, you know, I know you start the story in his kitchen, uh, with him eating some animal crackers from Costco, which is a detail that I love. Right. Um, <laughs> And his wife is telling a story about him falling off of a horse. Uh, why, why, why did you decide to lead the piece with, with that kind of uh, with that scene and, and that story? I mean, I I don't always know when. Like sometimes you'll just be there in the moment, and something will occur to you, like it'll click in your brain that this is the the opening part of your piece. I don't always know why it happens it's like this weird sort of I don't know this force that you can't quite explain but I mean beyond that practically it just to me that was like a Sturgill that you don't always see or read about in a nutshell like in this kitchen that in many ways like looked very much like mine like there was kid stuff and a jar of animal crackers that I probably owned and <laughs> you know backpacks and like it just felt like, a, you know, a kitchen for a, a regular person in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, being let into someone's home and, you know, talking to their spouse and um, it just shows sort of, it was kind of the opposite of like this. Now he's being talked about as like this very guarded person, you know, um, that doesn't talk to press, but like, this was the opposite of that, you know, like if you let someone in your kitchen in your home um that's just being very open you know and it was yeah I I think I've probably eaten the same animal crackers and you know <laughs> and uh but at the same time I mean she's talking about him getting you know basically diving off a horse as it was falling mid gallop um which tells you that oh no he's not like everyone else you know like <laughs> he's eating animal crackers but he's also galloping on horses to rehearse for you know, a Scorsese film. So it sort of shows those, those, that Gemini, you know, I, you know, I read that, that opening scene and I mean, he very much is kind of a, just a, a regular, a normal guy, right. Which does go against, cause I was going to ask you, cause he has been, or at least it's been said that he, he doesn't do a lot of press. Right. And, and, and so in a lot of ways it starts like maybe like changing how we see, um, who he is, um, and, and that's one reason I I I, I like that scene is because we you see him uh with his family uh and and doing stuff that that normal people also do. 
Oh, uh, just and it, and it didn't, you know, it wasn't like every once in a while you get into these circum into situations with a feature and you feel like you're you have to ask yourself, am I being set up a little bit like fed an environment? Um and this didn't feel like that at all. You know, it was just like kind of a real honest peek. And I mean, every subject, you know, the watching of the object changes the object or whatever, but it felt very, you know, about as real as you could get in the setting of an interview. Yeah. And I would imagine because you write about a lot of um, uh, music, like musicians, superstars, however we want to phrase it. And, 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 you know, I've not done a lot of that type of reporting on, on my own, but I, I've talked with a lot of people who have it. It can sometimes be difficult to try to to get through and, and to try to write a piece that is is really kind of authentic. Um, but I'm assuming you felt that way uh, with, with the piece on Sturgill. That it was kind of a real glimpse? Yeah, or is right, real? right. Yeah, I mean, I think, and like I said, you know, you're coming into someone's world as an observer and you're asking them questions. It's never going to be the same as what they do on, you know, any given Thursday morning or whatever. But, um, I felt, you know, he, he didn't feel to me like he was trying to signal or project certain things, um, you know, to try to kind of hook me to run with. And, uh, and that felt refreshing. And, and, and I think that's what people have always loved about him in different capacities over the years, but that has also been very easy for people to go to him to get that, you know, juicy little soundbite that, you know, is controversial. You know, if you, there's something you want to say, you could probably go to Sturgill Simpson and get him to say it if you're not brave enough, you know? <laughs> right. um, and that's why, you know, he's become kind of that person over the years. And I, I think it's really fun, but it's also, you don't ever want to take your eye away from, or your ear away rather from the music, which is, you know, some of the best stuff around. Yeah, for sure. How much time did you get to, to spend with, with him and his family? Um, I got there, you know, I had to, he lives outside of Nashville. So I drove out. Um, and then I parked at a restaurant and he met me there in his Jeep to drive me to his property, which was like half an hour drive. Um, mm -hmm. and cause it's pretty hard to find cause it's, you know, out in the country and winding roads and I'm a terrible driver. So I was like, <laughs> bring it. That's great. Um, <laughs> I didn't grow up with a car. And so. it gets you time in the car while he's driving too, which, you know, is always a great, uh, time for some conversation possibly as well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, you know, he, he rides this Jeep that doesn't have the doors on or didn't at the moment. So it was also really loud. So it was kind of this, we're sitting there and it's almost, it's hard to talk cause it's loud. Um, so it almost, created this like sort of interesting quieter moment in a way sort of um because we couldn't have you know a really lively conversation for half an hour straight because it was loud but we you know if we said something it was kind of you know you you kind of had to yell it a little louder um to be heard um but and then we were at his house for 
I don't know, three or four hours or something like that. Um, and I, you know, he drove me back to my car and I went to uh, my son's baseball game. Just, you know. <laughs> that sounds like a fun day, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was a good day. It was a good day. And, you know, I'm always, you know, I, I have have you ever had to, I mean, obviously probably earlier, probably now you, you, you get that type of access. But a lot of times when reporters are starting out and they're doing these types of stories, you get like not a lot of access. I mean, if you're doing it for Rolling Stone, you get more access. But I, you know, I interviewed Dan Auerbach from the Black Keys a long time ago um, for Cleveland Magazine, and I got 15 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. So I got, I'm assuming you've been through that before as well. And so what's the what's what's the difference between then and now? I mean, it makes such a difference being able to obviously have that amount of time with someone to sit down and see their world. And, um, but that period where you don't have access can also be really valuable because I, you know, it, I think that's what trained me to pick up really quickly on things that were interesting or bits of color. Um, I have a weird kind of memory where I take sort of snapshots in my brain (laughs) of things. Um, and, um, that's how I kind of often rebuild scenes obviously we don't get to you know take pictures or anything like that so I sort of take these mental pictures and I think I trained myself to do that from quick encounters early on where you don't have so much time um, and you have to figure out what kind of questions are going to you know kind of get to the heart of things really fast Um, but you know obviously it's amazing to have an extended amount of time with someone in their, you know, home or studio or wherever sort of is their authentic world, um, their day-to-day world. And, uh, you know, uh, that's a major treat anytime that happens because it's just a, just always a better story. I mean, I love, I love any color I can put into a piece. I love reading about stories, you know, reading stories like that. So, but it doesn't always happen. Even now you you know, you sometimes only get 45 minutes and you have to turn it into a cover story. And that's just the world we live in sometimes. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, if you've got a, a significantly limited amount of time, you really got to plan out pretty good, like what you're going to ask. Right. Um, when you know you got a little bit more time, are you still going through that process before before you head out? How do you get ready? How do you prepare? Um Cause I'm just thinking like someone says, okay, Matt, you're going to go spend four hours with Sturgill Simpson. I would like, Oh, that okay. I'd freak out actually. Um, but like I, because I don't do that type of work in general, but how do you prepare for, for, for knowing you're going out and, and going to be, you've got that amount of time uh, uh, to gather what you need to gather for this piece. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing because I, I like going into a piece with, an idea of what I'm after obviously but I don't want that to guide the interview too much to where I'm coming in with kind of my own agenda and everything is trailing from there um because then if you either you're sometimes you can find that you're forcing that sort of thesis too much um or if it sort of quickly becomes apparent that you were a little off base then it can be kind of hard to regroup really fast in the middle of an interview so it's kind of like going in 
with this idea of what I want to talk about and what I see the story being and being open to, you know, taking a different road if it presents itself. But I prepare a lot before an interview. Um, I mean, that's probably obviously most people probably prepare a lot. Um, And, you know, I write out all my questions and research. And then most of the time I never look at any of it when I'm there but it just like sort of you know if you have your textbook under your pillow you're like (laughs) you know I hold it in my hands (laughs) um and that can be very you know different if you have like a 15 minute interview you kind of need to be very disciplined um and you can't kind of open it up into a free you know a kind of a winding conversation yeah but if you do have a long period of time you can you know, let it flow a lot more. And then, you know, but you still, even when you have a long period of time, it can get away from you too. And you need to make sure that you're still sort of following the, you know, hitting the points that you want and making sure you're discussing, you know, the ideas that you're curious about. Um, So just because you have a long period of time doesn't mean that you can totally like relax in and unwind and let it go wherever it goes um because that can kind of be a trap too you can kind of end up with you know an hour conversation about like a television show and be like well i had a long amount of time but i ended up not really talking about anything i needed to i've been talking with marissa moss she recently profiled sturgill simpson for rolling stone we're going to take a short break when we return we'll talk more about moss's ties to country music and the work on her first book, Her Country, which will be available in May of 2022. This is Gangry the Podcast. Gangry the Podcast is brought to you by the digital journalism and sports media programs at Fairfield University. Digital journalism is designed to provide students with the skills, knowledge, and experience needed to succeed in today's quickly changing media world. Students take courses in everything from big data storytelling to podcasting to narrative journalism and more. Sports media is a new major that prepares students to work anywhere sports-related content is produced. Students take courses in journalism and broadcast communication. They can also take courses in public relations, film, and more. To learn more about the digital journalism and sports media programs, visit www.fairfield.edu. Welcome back to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. I'm talking with Marissa R. Moss. She's a freelancer who writes primarily about music. She's also putting the finishing touches on her first book, Her Country, How the Women of Country Music Became the Success They Were Never Supposed to Be. Um, you've written a, about a lot of um, country musicians, but other not, not just country musicians. But um, uh, what is it that uh, about about musicians in general that um, interests you that has made you want to kind of build your freelance career around this? Uh, weirdly, that's kind of just the thing that I always wanted to do, even when I was young. Um, I never really played an instrument I wasn't interested in being a performer or anything like that I have a terrible singing voice you know I like can play 
a couple indigo girls and bob dylan songs on the guitar like <laughs> um that's sort of as far as it goes but i love you know i loved and lived through music you know as long back as as far back as i can remember and i did that so much through rolling stone and spin and just kind of devouring stories about the artists themselves um and i just loved that i loved music seemed just like this creating music was this thing that i just couldn't understand but that was so crucial to my world and i just wanted to understand how it got made um but i also found myself you know sort of a recurring pattern was that like i i loved hearing about how these people that sort of were musical geniuses were also very human um, and the things that made them human. And that was always something that really drove me and I gravitated toward and wanted to do through my own storytelling. If that makes sense. Is there anything about country music? Cause you, you do a lot uh, with country musicians, a lot of stories about, uh, about country musicians. Is there anything about country music itself um, that, that, that has really grabbed onto you? Um, well, I grew up in New York City, so I didn't grow up with country music like in my daily life, except my dad lived in Texas for many years. So that was, I guess, my first exposure and he loved country music. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, it's probably cliche to say, but I really love the storytelling and country music um, as someone really interested in words and stories it just, you know country music was doing it for me but I also love so many types of music that I kind of sometimes squirm a little when people like describe me as a country reporter or something like that because they're you know I, I music is music um but I do live in Nashville and I do write a lot about country music and I do love it so um it's okay people say that <laughs> yeah i mean it really but it really is like country music is really where um in so many ways the storytelling is uh oftentimes right yeah yep that's you know what that's sort of what unites most of country music even if now sonically a lot of it is veering off in in different directions and we'll argue about whether or not you know what's country music but at the end of the day it's about a story um and and I love that because I love, you know, I used to copy down lyrics into blank notebooks when I was a kid and a teenager. Um, and I think that was when I started gravitating first towards artists like Bob Dylan and then digging a little bit deeper and ending up in country music and seeing where those stories were. Um, and I really love that. Um, how did you, so, I mean, you're writing pieces for, for Billboard and, and for Spin and for Rolling Stone, um, but how did you get from point A to, to where you're at right now? How did you, how did you get started? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, after college, I did all kinds of random jobs um, and I ended up in communications work for a while. I, I mean, I always knew that I wanted to be a journalist and I worked for the school newspaper and, uh, but, you know, it wasn't so easy kind of in the post 9-11 economy to find that kind of job and especially one that paid well enough to live in New York City. So I did all kinds of stuff and then uh, ended up in communications 
and eventually political communications work, but always doing writing on the side. Um, so I did stuff for Huffington Post and, you know, spin over a decade ago for the website. So much of it was for free, which I really wouldn't recommend. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of the path that I saw, I guess, because I was working full time and then I would you know, leave my day job and go cover a concert somewhere and write about it and start building up my clips. Um, and even, you know, writing for Huffington Post, I could just kind of do whatever I wanted. And I don't know if that was great either, but uh, in hindsight, <laughs> it, it all let me, you know, get some clips that I needed to start, you know, pitching for paying work. Um, and my first paying assignment was actually a web story for Rolling Stone. And uh, that was kind of, I don't know, that was a long time ago, but it was great getting that first check and being like, oh, I could actually make money doing this. But even so, you know, it, it, turning it into a full-time job took a long time. And it was just kind of a very long process of working my way up and up and up to you know, actually being able to, you know, make it my day job, I guess you could say. I know you're working on a book uh, right now that is currently titled, Where Have All the Cowgirls Gone? Can you tell me about that book uh, and what it'll be about? Sure. Um, I'm actually calling it Her Country now, so small change. Um, but it covers the past 20 years in country music, talking about the stories of women. So I guess technically women in country, although it feels kind of weird to say that. I don't know why, um, because it really is focused more on artists like Casey Musgraves, Maren Morris, Mickey Guyton, the chicks um, that have, you know, kind of reinvented the rules of an industry that is really dependent on radio, really kind of stifling to anyone that wants to speak out about something that is, you know, whether it's political or women's stories or sort of anything that's pushing against the mainstream country narrative. Um, and so it talks in a micro, micro way about their careers, but also kind of ropes in so many other different stories about different women that have been in country music with, you know, behind the scenes too. Um, and, you know, it's built from a lot of the reporting I've done since I've been in Nashville, but a lot of original interviews too. Um, and it was written during the pandemic, which <laughs> limited my, you know, on the ground reporting abilities. So, um, yeah, it was that yeah, difficult. I'm proud of it. And it's, yes, it was awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, no, it wasn't awful. I'm lucky to be able to even write a book, but I did have two kids under seven at home and I thought it would be you know on the road and going to concerts and you know reporting in real time and and that kind of quickly went out the window in favor of zoom calls and taking my kids on you know virtual school so it was different but uh I wasn't alone you know I'm not the only person in the world obviously that had to take a very fast pivot in terms of how they uh, get the work done. So I, I, 
I wish I could just put a, like a sticker on the book that's like written during the pandemic with two very <laughs> demanding children. So keep that in mind. Yeah, that, that should definitely be like uh, something that should go on books that are coming out in like 2022, I think. So yeah, you know, like the Oprah's book club sticker, right. like this is the like tortured parent sticker. Um, just so, you know, in case there's like, you know, a typo somewhere, like, please, I was probably getting goldfish at the time. Right. Or um, animal but, crackers yeah. from Costco. Or animal crackers from a large jar from Costco. Yeah. <laughs> so I know obviously doing this would have been uh, obviously uh, so much more difficult or it was more difficult given the circumstances. But given all of that, do you, do you think this is something that you'll want to do? You know, that, that this isn't going to be like an only book. You'll, you'll want to do more? I hope so. Um. If you asked me that like six months ago, I would have had a very different answer, <laughs> but, uh, I do, I do hope to do another book if I'm, you know, lucky enough to have the opportunity. Um, I'm, you know, already kind of working out some new ideas. Um, but yeah, and you know, I'd love to someday do like a, you know, a really immersive biography. I think that'd be really interesting. Um, just get really deep in one person's life and story. But uh, yeah, throwing around some other ideas that veer outside of country music too. So like I said, I'm interested in all kinds of music. So that would be fun too. Is there anybody that you would love to write about that you never have? Mm, that's a good question. Sturgill Simpson was kind of that one. Yeah, no. right. <laughs> um it's a funny question because the, of course I would say someone, you know, like Bob Dylan, but I would actually probably run away at the chance to interview Bob Dylan at first. <laughs> um, Cause I would be so nervous that it would somehow like disappoint me and therefore torment me every single night when I tried to go to sleep. <laughs> um, but that's a really good question. I don't know. I feel like, I guess it's funny because I, I really like to interview people that I don't necessarily listen to their music all the time. Like I, I like to interview people that I find really interesting, but not necessarily people that, you know, are I'm going to put on in the radio. And, and I've been lucky in the past couple of years to mostly talk to people that I do love to listen to like Brandy and Sturgill and, Marco Price and, and people like that. But I also really love, like, I would love someone just kind of out of left field. Like those are my dream gets like someone outside of country music, or I even love interviewing kind of, you know, sort of quote bro country singers and kind of trying to get past their uh, shell a little bit. Um, and that's what I really enjoy. Like yeah. something that I can really dig into past a point of sort of my own personal admiration for their music and, and, and find what makes them interesting and what makes them tick and why other people really love them. And usually that ends up with me having a renewed appreciation or a new appreciation for their music, which is, you know, fun for me. Well, is there a release date for, for the book yet? There is May 10th, 2022. Okay, we'll have to put it on the calendars, uh, and uh, it'll be it'll be a f uh, fun to read, I'm sure. Marissa, thank you uh, so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great talking with you. 
Sure. Thanks for having me. I've been talking with Marissa Moss. She's a freelancer who writes about musicians and the author of Her Country, how the women of country music became the success they were never supposed to be. It's being published by Henry Holt and Company and will go on sale in May of 2022. As usual, I've linked to everything we've talked about on the website. You can find that at gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, the podcast.com. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on Twitter. That's at Gangry Podcast. Gangry is spelled G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. You can subscribe to Gangry the Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Google Play app. Just search Gangry. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. Podcast. Gangry the Podcast is produced in the Integrated Media Labs at Fairfield University. It's made possible by the digital journalism and sports media programs, as well as the College of Arts and Sciences at Fairfield U. This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly. I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for joining us.